0: just for this beautiful weather. You are good. We thank you for your kindness in letting us live in Minnesota. It's awesome. We love it. And we thank you especially for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven and we could enter into a relationship with you as our daddy, as our father. Uh, We ask that you would teach us today from your word uh, about the end Times, but also just about how we can know anything for sure. So please teach us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, turn to Revelation chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. That's the last book of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and someone will bring you one. It's our gift to you. We're going through the book of Revelation verse by verse. And we're at chapter 10. Entitling this God's Word: The Essential Bittersweet Book. My sister visited last week, uh, and so it was wonderful having my mom and my sister here last week. They came up from the Rochester area, and in one conversation, uh, she assured me that GMOs are bad for you. Okay, you know what a GMO is? Uh, what is it? Uh, Genetically modified organisms, something like that, okay. And just to play the devil's advocate, I said, Hi, how can you be sure? We live a lot longer now since we've been eating them. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to advocate GMOs or anything else like that, okay? That's not the point of this conversation, okay? Because there are, I mean, if you look at it in the world, there's a, like two opposites. You got these conspiracy theorists that think everything, you know, that everything's a conspiracy. But then you have over here the greedy manipulation of the elite. So there really is, you know, where, how do we know? Is GMOs bad? How do we know if this and that or whatever else? How do we know anything? For sure And that is a legitimate question to be asking. How can we know anything for sure? You um, can say, "Well, I can use my reason, but if we're all honest, our reason is tainted by our selfishness, many times, isn't it? Well, I'll just go by my feelings. But emotions are fickle at best. How can we know anything? For sure. Let's read our passage. Revelation chapter 10. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun. His legs were like pillars of fire. And he held a little scroll opened in his hand. He put his right foot on the sea, his left on the land, and he called out with a loud voice like a roaring lion. When he cried out, the seven thunders raised their voices. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders said, and do not write it down. Then the angel that I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. He swore by the one who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, there will no longer be a delay. But in the days when the seventh angel will blow his trumpet, then the mystery of God will be completed as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take and eat it. It will be bitter in your stomach, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I ate it, my stomach became bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Now we read this passage, and it seemed a little different, didn't it? (laughs) What is this talking about? The book of Revelation... uh, especially at first read, seems very difficult to understand. But as we've been going through it, I hope you've been noticing that it is not as difficult to understand as we apply basic principles in understanding uh, this type of literature. And here, what's going on here is this is one of those interludes. Remember, as we've been going through this, we had first the seven seals, And as each one was opening, it was sharing and speaking about different judgments and things that were going to happen in the end of time. And then between the sixth and seventh seal, there was an interlude, actually a two-part interlude that expressed some teachings that we needed to know for the full picture, right? Well, here, now we're going through the seven trumpets. By the way, the seventh seal introduced the seven trumpets. Then with the seven trumpets, we've been going through them, the, the judgments of God on the world, and in between the sixth and seventh trumpet, now we have another interlude. It will be twofold, chapter 10 and chapter 11, until we get to the, then we get to the seventh Trumpet And what we'll see there is that introduces the seven bowls, the final bowls of God's wrath. okay? So this is kind of a pattern that John has been writing, and we have this little interlude that uh, helps us understand certain things that are essential in the big picture. Uh, Daniel Aiken kind of summarizes this, the main idea of this passage. I think he does it well. He says, despite the opposition of God's enemies, what we've been seeing throughout the book. He has given his people his authoritative and trustworthy word and commissioned them to proclaim it to the nations. We need to remember this commission, and that's what we're seeing in this book. And so he starts out in verses 1, this... Not working. There we go. One through verses one through four. God's word comes with authority. Remember the question: How can you know anything for sure? Well, if God has spoken, He doesn't have a mind that's uh, plagued with or or influenced by a sinful nature, does He? And it's not limited either, and he doesn't have fickle emotions and so forth. So if he speaks, surely that's trustworthy, and that's what we're seeing here. God's word comes with authority. I want you to look at Second Timothy chapter three verses sixteen and seventeen, a classic passage on the word of God and its authority over us. Second Timothy should be right after First Timothy. Chapter 3, it is in mine anyway. Chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Notice what it's saying here about the Word of God. All Scripture, the Bible, is inspired by God. Theopneustos is the Greek word. It literally means God-breathed. God is the one who ultimately is the author of this book. Therefore, because God's the author, it has no errors, it's inerrant, it is profitable for teaching, even for rebuking us when we start wanting to believe things, you know, by our emotions or our reason that goes contrary to his word. Uh, For correcting, for training in righteousness, why so that the man of God may be complete, equipped, For every good work. I think the NIV says thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is sufficient. It comes with authority. It is our final authority. Our passage starts out with this giant angel, okay? The giant angel, you you read now, you go, wow, what is this guy, you know? The mighty angel, he's wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, the rainbow probably representing that that initial covenant God made with humankind uh, uh, after the flood. His face like the sun, his legs were like pillars of fire. Some even thought because of this description that this is Jesus, but I would you know, most scholars would disagree and I would too. It's just a giant angel expressing, you know, really shining the glory of the Lord here. But he he holds this little scroll. It's little because he's big, okay, right? So you get this big giant. He's got one foot in the sea, probably just coming over his ankle, you know, the ocean, and one foot on the land. This is how monstrous this angel is, uh, but a servant of Yahweh. He calls out with a roaring, with a voice like a roaring lion, and uh, and so we see this angel coming from God. I think the description basically is showing his strength, but also that he's sent by God. That the word of God that he brings, this scroll, is completely trustworthy. It should be our final authority, the way in which we can know right from wrong, truth from error. How can you know anything for sure if God has spoken, then you can know that for sure? And therefore, must be our final authority in all this. Um, it's the reason why I wrote my book. Uh, the uniqueness of the Bible. I talk about this idea of these three potential final authorities that either yourself or tradition or revelation, the word of God. One of these is basically what we determine, what is right and wrong, true and false in our life. And self, that's what most people choose, right? By default. They might even say, I believe in the Bible, but really... They go by their own feelings or their own reasoning for their uh, for their ways, but self can be deceived well, that 's a problem right? If self is the final authority and self can be deceived we 're in trouble. Look at Second Timothy chapter four verses one through five. Here we see uh, we 're going to see a couple different passages that speak of what it 's going to be like, especially in the end of time. And here we see uh, 2 Timothy. This is right after that passage we we read about the word of God being the final authority. Well, look at what it says in chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Paul says, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus who is going to judge the living and the dead. And because of his appearing in his kingdom, because the, the judgment is coming, that's what we're reading about in the book of Revelation, because of that in his kingdom that's going to come fully when Christ returns, because of that, preach the word, the Bible. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. That means whether it's, you know, people embrace it or not, whether it's popular or not, rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. Why? For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. In the end, people aren't going to tolerate the sound teaching from the word of God, but instead they're going to gather people to tell them what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. And he goes on, he says, in verse 4, they will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. And he's speaking to Timothy, who was a pastor. So here we see, preach the word, because self can be deceived, can it? We can be deceived by our, whether we use our reasoning or our emotions, we can be deceived. When I was young and only dabbling in the Bible, before I totally surrendered to the Lord when I was 21, I would make the Bible even say what I wanted it to say. And that hurt me and it hurt other people as well. We want to find out if this is written by God, what did he mean to say, not what do I want it to say. Do you see the difference? So it becomes our final authority, even when it goes against my small ability to reason or my feelings. So self can be deceived. So other people in church history, they decided, well, let's make tradition. Our final authority, okay? So we'll make tradition our final authority because self doesn't seem to be working, but tradition can be deceived. Look at First Timothy, chapter four, verses one through five. Uh, interesting, we had second Timothy four, one through five. Now let's look at first Timothy four, one through five. Teaching how tradition, by the way, tradition can be deceived because tradition is basically a bunch of selves, right? <laughs> All right? And tradition, whether it's your family tradition, your culture, or your uh, you know, denomination, or church, or whatever, traditions can be deceived. Look at what it says in 1 Timothy 4. Verse 1, now the Spirit explicitly says in the latter times, so it's talking about once again, later in in the end of time especially, some will depart from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Now literally in the Greek that phrase teachings of demons, it means teachings of demons. Okay. I mean, so that's, that's what they're listening to. Now, they don't think they're listening to demons, do they? But they're, this is what's going on through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. So there's some certain people feeding this stuff in there. Then look at verse 3. They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer, by the word of God. Now notice here, so in the latter days, there's gonna be people, and we see this in church history. Uh, That's why it's a good idea to study church history. How did we get from the pure teaching of the Bible, which was embraced by the early church, to this morphed views that we see throughout church history, including forbidding marriage. In fact, there's a whole denomination that says that the pastor can't get married. When in First Timothy chapter 1, it actually says pastors should be married. So how do you get from pastors should be married to pastors can't be married? Tradition, that's how it worked. That's how it happened. And today we have this debacle, this horrible, you know, the third highest uh, archbishop uh, of Australia is now being indicted or under investigation for pedophile. And it's horrible, and it's because of taking the truth of God and then forbidding marriage and demanding abstinence from foods these things. See, this is tradition, which has hurt the church many times. Now, traditions in and of themselves aren't necessarily bad. I like Christmas, right? So, traditions aren't necessarily bad, but they cannot be our final authority because traditions can be deceived. No, it must be the word of God as our final authority. Now, as back to this angel here, okay, so he's introduced, he's got this scroll, and then he says, it says uh, at the end of verse 3, when he cried out, the seven thunders raised their voices. And then the seven thunder spoke, John's ready to write it down, and he says, don't, don't write that down. So we got, the, we got these seven thunders, and you're like, what are the seven thunders? What are they saying? It's really funny because I was read, I've was read several commentaries on this. And several commentaries actually try to explain what the seven thunders might have been. And I'm thinking, you missed the point. He says, don't write it down because he doesn't want us to know what the seven thunders were. Right? I mean, I, I don't know. That just seems like... Basic, simple, that's what it's saying there, right? You're not supposed to know. But you say, but I want to know. I want to know, right? So why does he have this? I believe that we've been seeing this throughout Revelation. God is in control. He knows exactly everything that's going to happen. But he doesn't tell us everything. We do not need to know all the details. We can trust him. We have his sufficient word. This is what we need. And we don't need the rest because we can trust when God has spoken, it is true. And so the word of God, once again, is manifest as our final authority, uh, this, this great book. Okay, so now that brings us to verses five through seven, and we see that God's word is certain. It says, Then the angel that I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. He swore by the one who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it. There will no longer be a delay, but in the days when the seventh angel will blow his trumpet, then the mystery of God will be completed, as he announced to his servants the prophets. And so here we see the, this angel and he's, this word, the word of God is absolutely certain. It's going to happen without delay. God's plan, the mystery of God will be completed as announced by the prophets. God's word is certain. Isaiah fifty-five eleven says God's word, the, the word of God that proceeds from his mouth will not return void, but will accomplish that which he sets it out to accomplish. And so we see God's word is certain. But listen, nothing else is certain in this world. Some people say death and taxes are certain, right? But I know some people avoid taxes. (laughs) And at least two people in the Bible didn't die. (laughs) anyway, okay, but you get my point, okay? Nothing is certain in this world, but God's word is certain. Here we have the angel taking an oath. Okay, the angel takes an oath. Now, that kind of presents a problem, because if you remember, in Matthew five thirty four, Jesus said, don't take oaths, okay? So we're like, okay, well, what did Jesus mean when he said, don't take oaths? Because we know that in Matthew 26, 63, and 64, Jesus himself actually took an oath. So if he said don't take an oath and he took an oath, then he must have sinned and Jesus never sinned. So he must have been meaning something else. In fact, Hebrews 6.13, it says God took an oath. So we have an angel here taking an oath, Jesus taking an oath, God taking an oath. So what did he mean? Jesus was clear. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you're going to take an oath, it must be serious, okay? Not nonchalantly, casually, constantly saying, oh, I swear this and that and the other thing. He's saying, think about it marriage, by the way, your marriage vows is an oath, isn't it? It's a serious matter that you want. We just went to a wedding yesterday and a serious matter when you take those oaths. Okay, so that's what Jesus was saying. Take your oaths seriously. And by the way, also just let all of your speech be true. You know, be a person of your word. But here we see the angel taking an oath, and he swears by the attributes of God. Two different attributes of God here, he says. He swore by the one who lives forever and ever, the eternally alive one, God. He's the only one that has lived forever and ever that is eternally alive. Now, I love this this idea. There is a basic scientific law, basically, that says only life produces life you learn it usually about in your biology book chapter one you know louis pascal or not pascal louis pasteur that's it pasteur and others that only life produces life and in fact in every single scientific uh experiment ever done the only thing we've ever found is that only life produces life now usually by about chapter three they introduce this thing called called evolution that says you know that that Life came from non-living material in that primordial soup, okay? Without any evidence at all. Zero experimentation to back it up. None. No example ever in the history of the planet of non-living material producing living material. But you just got to believe it. Just stick your head in the sand and believe it, okay? That's what they tell us. You just got to believe it because it had to have happened at the beginning. No, it didn't. Life produced life, the eternally living one. This is the, the scientific principle that only life produces life shows that there has to be an eternally living one. So why not embrace the truth? Why not embrace science and reject that evolution thing, okay? Well, yeah, that's my opinion. All right. So, so he's bad, but he says here, the eternally living one. Then he says, the one who created the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in it. He is the creator. By the way, that makes sense too. You look at the universe. It's so complex, so intricate, so designed. It demands an intelligent designer, demands an awesome creator. It makes sense when you look at the world and you say, there is a God. And that's why it says in Psalm 14:1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So the angel is swearing by the eternal one here, uh, taking this oath, the eternally alive and the awesome creator of the universe. And then it says, he speaks of final judgment. And that's what we've been seeing in the book of Revelation. There is a final judgment coming. And he says specifically in the days, verse seven, but in the days when the seventh angel will blow his trumpet, uh, I'm sorry, verse six B uh, there will no longer be a delay, but in the days when the seventh angel will blow his trumpet, then the mystery of God will be completed. We see in the days, not days, so we 're not this whole you, you can 't predict the exact day because there's it's there 's enough. Uh, here that you have to say i 'm not exactly sure when all this happens and and how, you know exactly the exact time in which Christ is going to return, but we can know the seasons matthew twenty four Jesus gave us here 's the signs of the seasons of when the end is getting near, uh, but but we do know the judgment is coming, final judgment will take place at the sounding of the seventh trumpet, and he says specifically that God's hidden plan, God's hidden plan, uh, the mystery of God will be completed as he announced to his servants, the prophets. God's hidden plan is revealed through the prophets, once again, showing that it's the Bible, the word of God, the scriptures that are our final authority. This is God's method of revealing to us what is right, what is wrong, what is true, what is false, what is God's grand plan. Ephesians 2 verse 20 specifically states that the foundation of the church is not the hierarchy of the church. It's not people. The foundation of the church, it says, is it's founded upon apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. This is how God did He gave us his word. Here's the foundation of the church. Here's the truth that we are to go to by, go by our final authority. In fact, uh, took, turn to 2 Peter 1, verse 20 and 21. 2 Peter, we see that even the prophets didn't get to just interpret the Bible however they wanted to. (laughs) Because what really matters is what did God say and what did he mean? Look at what it says in 2 Peter 1 verse 20. Above all, you know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God himself, the Holy Spirit, is the one who made sure they wrote exactly what he wanted them to write, down to the very words. He certainly used their personalities and their life experiences and so forth, but he wrote it. And so what we want to do is find out what did God mean, not what do I want it to mean. What did God mean? Because, But he, but he has given us this, and he's revealed to us his grand plan, this hidden plan. It says here that... Uh, His plan, the mystery of God, will be completed. Uh, Finished is what it says in some versions. That word teleo is the same word that Jesus used when he said at the very end on the cross. He said, it is finished. Teleo. Completed. He completed the gospel by dying on the cross for our sins. But The whole plan isn't complete until He returns. But here we see that the mystery of God will be completed as He announced to His servants, the prophets. Throughout the Bible, God has been gradually revealing who He is and what His grand plan is from beginning to end. By by the way, there is a grand plan. And we don't get to just make up our own grand plan. Because we're not the creator. If we're smart, we will want to get in on his plan. The only thing that will get in that way is our pride. The tragedy of what we've been seeing so far in the book of Revelation is that the vast majority at the end of time reject the creator's plan and substitute it with their own plan that doesn't ultimately So how do we know, though? How do we know what the grand plan is? Because God in His goodness has given us His grand plan. And He's also told us ahead of time how it's all going to end and that there is judgment coming. We don't like to talk about judgment, right? But God in His goodness has told us ahead of time because He doesn't want us to be judged, he wants us to receive the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, His Son. That's His plan. Our passage concludes in verses 8 through 11 that God's word, though, must be assimilated. It's not enough to just know about it. Okay, I'm glad we got a book. Okay, Verses 8 through 11, this is a strange passage where then the, the voice from heaven says to the angel, give the scroll to John and he, let him eat it, okay? You got, you got the picture there? Let him eat it, okay? I need the kids to come up. Is there any kids here in the first service? I, I have M&Ms down, down here. Okay, M&Ms, come on, kids. Before you take it, though, I have a question I have to ask you, but come on, these are M&Ms. Last week, we had a, a thing that was really good for you. These aren't really good for you, okay? This is candy, pure and simple, okay? But let me ask you guys a question, okay? In order, it says here that you have to take it in for it to be sweet, okay? What do you have to do in order to know that this candy is sweet? You got to take it and eat it, right? Go ahead, take it, eat it. Tell me if it's sweet or not. I'm just curious. Okay, okay. <laughs> Do you get the point here? It, God's word, this is what he's saying. is God's word is the same way. It must be assimilated. It must be digested. We have to take it in. Uh, George Eldon Ladd in his commentary, he says, the symbol of eating the scroll is a, na- a natural one, suggesting the complete assimilation of the prophetic message. We have to take it in and eat it. Uh, and he says specifically it will be sweet, okay? It is sweet, but it's only sweet when we understand it and meditate on it. If we misunderstand it, then it's not sweet to our soul. We misapply it. We have to understand what God actually meant when he, what, what he wrote when he wrote the Bible, And we have to meditate on it. We have to take it in. We have to seriously allow it to change our lives. And then it becomes sweet. But now you notice the book here in chapter 10, it says it will be sweet in your mouth, but it will be bitter in your stomach. Now I promise I didn't put anything bitter in the M&Ms. Okay, that's just going to be sweet. That's it, okay. But the Word of God is bitter as well. Lad explains. He says, this is a new feature in the Revelation which goes beyond the accounts in Ezekiel and and Jeremiah which both speak of the word of God being sweet. He says, we are reminded of Jesus weeping bitter tears over Jerusalem because the people had rejected him and his message and so brought upon themselves the wrath and judgment of God. Here's an important truth for all who proclaim the word of God. The full counsel of God contains a word of judgment as well as mercy. And the messenger of the gospel must be faithful to both aspects of his message. We have to be faithful to both aspects. He just wants more of the Word of God. <laughs> See? Yeah, you can't yeah, that's good. <laughs> Parents are not going to like me after this one. <laughs> but it is bitter. But it is important, and the point of lad is we have to proclaim the whole word of God, both the love and the holiness of God, the righteousness as well as the goodness of God, that he is giving us grace if we'll receive it like the kids received it. But if not, we experience the judgment of God. And we have to preach the whole counsel of God topical sermons and this is why I preach verse by verse through books of the Bible because topical sermons you can you're so so often you just say the good stuff that you want to say and many times it just becomes fluff topical fluff sermons are half truths which are no truths at all and it becomes bitter When people reject the gospel, that was what Ladd had said as well. It's hard when we think of those who don't receive. It's hard when we think of the prodigals who've walked away from the truth. Uh, We really do believe that God is saying he wants to bring the prodigals back. And we're going to continue to emphasize that all year this year because I want you to pray. As we together pray and seek the Lord for the prodigals to come home, God can wake him up and bring him home, can't he? And so we want to see that. And so and that's why we, just to remind you, we have this letter that you could take. They're on the back of the, the organ there uh, to give to the prodigal you know. That's just a letter that, that, that's, that I wrote, you know, just from my heart to the prodigals. Because uh, I, I want to see him come back because it's bitter to the soul when we, when, uh, when we see people rejecting God. But we have to speak the whole counsel, both the sweet and the bitter. And it must be shared, okay? Uh, It must be shared. The very end here, it says, And they said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. For us, we must share it again. Paige Patterson, in his commentary on this, sums this up. He says, there is one other important lesson here. The seer of Patmos, that's John, must consume the whole scroll. He cannot approach his assignment as though it were a cafeteria line, indulging the sweet while avoiding the bitter herbs. Neither can he reverse his culinary habit. He must eat or assimilate the whole scroll. When it has become a part of who he is, then he must faithfully proclaim both. Some witnesses rejoice to speak of love, grace, and the honey of God's blessings, but are loath to declare faithfully God's justice and judgment. Others almost appear like schoolyard bullies, always ready to pound people with impending judgment while stressing infrequently, if at all, the love of the Lord. Either witness is inadequate, failing to have assimilated the whole counsel of God, or worse, having understood it, but failing to share all that God has said with his hearers. We're to speak the whole word of God. Now, that brings up a question. Why is this in the book of Revelation, this interlude here? I think we need to be reminded and especially the end they need to be reminded when everything's just all chaos and going crazy the sure truths of God's word must be our final authority and we have to share it even if we're persecuted so will you accept this commission? that's the question get to know this book take it in Become knowledgeable of God's word. And even as you're reading it, begin to share what you're learning with others, and you will grow and make a true difference in this world. Let's pray. Lord, we seek you, we love your word. It's good. It does taste sweet, <laughs> but we long to learn more. And so we ask help us, no matter how busy our schedules, help us to be able to fit this in, that we take in your word daily. And We allow it to transform our lives so that we can think like you think instead of the way the world thinks. We want to help the world. We want to reach out and love the world with the gospel, with the full gospel. So help us, Lord. Use us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.